the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning in Romans chapter 5 is one of the greatest theological sections of the whole Bible. In these ten verses, Paul summarizes the theology of the preceding chapters about the sinfulness of man and the provision of salvation that's found in and through Jesus Christ. It's commonly agreed that Romans chapter 5 verse 12 through 21 also presents some of the most difficult passages in Romans, if not the entire New Testament. And so my goal this morning is to take these 10 verses and and try to simplify them, to, to try to highlight and give insight the best that I'm able to. So in, in, in an effort, in a desire to try to simplify this section, I've kind of broke it down into three major sections. I've divided it into three parts, if you will. So this morning we're going to be looking at the problem, and that's going to be found in verses 12 through 14. We'll move from the problem to the solution, verses 15 through 19. And then verse 20 and 21, we'll see the results. And so there's a positive progression that takes place in our text this morning. The passage begins in the abyss with man's ruin. And then it proceeds to the the rescue of redemption. And then ultimately culminates in the reign of grace in the lives of those who believe. And so this morning, we'll begin with the problem. Look at verse number 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through it, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Now, uh, the fact is very simply stated here that sin and death entered into our world through one man. That one man is Adam. And so the major emphasis on this section is the universality of the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is that death is now upon us. God has said, as recorded in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, He says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And so the the sin of self-righteousness and rebellion that, that Adam displays in the Garden of Eden, that sin brought death to humanity. And this death is what I would call a, a threefold death, or, or this death occurs in, in three different areas of our lives. First of all, we have the physical death. The, the sin brings about physical death. If you look in Genesis chapter 5, and I'll provide it on the screen, Genesis chapter 5, it says this is the book of the, the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. And he created them male and female, and 
he blessed them and he named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then in verse number four, it says, then uh, the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, was 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And he died. In fact, if you'll read through the rest of that chapter, you'll find, and that chapter is going to list the descendants from Adam all the way to Noah. And as you read through that chapter, you'll see that there are seven other times where it ends and he died. Death is the inevitable, physical death is the inevitable end to all of our lives. We will all physically die. So there's this physical death. But not only is there a physical death, there's a spiritual death. Colossians chapter 2 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We have a physical death, a spiritual death. And then there's also the eternal death. Revelation chapter 20 says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds, according to what they had done. Then it says in verse number 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's the eternal death, the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here we see the, the result of the original sin of Adam is that we all inherit both a sinful state and we inherit a sinful propensity. We're bent towards sin. The proof that we inherit Adam's nature is seen in the fact that both sin and death existed before the law was ever given at Mount Sinai. And so think about it. While the law had yet to be written and recorded in stone on the mountain, according to, to Romans chapter 2, and we talked about this, Romans chapter 2, verse number 15 declares that the law is written, has been written, and is written on the hearts of man. In fact, our conscience bears witness to that reality. And so the proof that, that we inherit Adam's nature is the fact that sin and death 
has been ruling and reigning in our lives from the very beginning. Look back at verse number 13. It says, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. What we're saying here is that for thousands of years, the law had not been explicitly given and formally written and recorded. And yet, during that time, people both sinned and died. The law was given later. The law was given at at Mount Sinai for for many reasons. The law helps people to, to see their sinfulness. The law shows people the seriousness of their offense, ultimately, hopefully, driving them to God for for His mercy and His forgiveness. That was true in Moses' day. It's true in Paul's day. And it's still true for us today. And so if there was no law, then what was it then that was causing the people between Adam and Moses to sin and to die? Well, the answer to that question is it was their nature. It was their sinful, corruptible nature. See, the one act from Adam brought sin and brings about death. But in comparison to that, there's the one act of Jesus that brought redemption and brings eternal life for those who believe. And so the the importance of Adam is critical. Because according to the text, Adam was a type of him who was to come. And Adam was was a representative, if you will, uh, of someone who would come later, and that someone being Jesus. So Adam and Jesus were the two representatives of humanity. Adam securing the perfect righteousness and conquering death by literally arising from the dead. So Adam brought sin and death, but Christ brings justification, redemption to those who believe. So our rescue comes through a second and far greater Adam. The last phrase of verse number 14 That's where you'll see where it says that Adam was a pattern or a type of him who was to come. This is not because Adam and and Christ were very similar. On the contrary, they were greatly different. Think about it. Adam, in his disobedience, tried to pursue and grasp equality with God. But Christ... In obedience. I love how, how, how Paul states it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, who, uh, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Then it says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of, at, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice how Adam's sin brought judgment and condemnation. But Jesus Christ and the work upon the cross brings justification and offers redemption unto those who will believe. When Adam sinned, he was declared unrighteous and and thus condemned. But when a sinner trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives and as as their Savior, then, then they are justified, which means they are declared perfectly righteous in and through Jesus Christ. God God looks upon the one who believes in the Son and God takes the perfect righteousness of His Son and He credits that individual with that righteousness. He removes our our, our penalty for the sin that we've done. He he, he removes the, the penalty and the consequence of our sin and thus credits us with His Son's own righteousness. Death is something that we've earned for all have sinned. But salvation is something that we receive. Which means salvation is not something that we can earn. Salvation is is not something uh, that, that can be bought. Salvation is not something that uh, can be inherited. Ask people, are you a believer? Yeah, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you haven't. You might have been born in a Christian home, but being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a believer, nor does being born in a garage make you a car. You can't can't inherit salvation from, from someone else. No, no. You can only receive salvation. That's why, that's why Paul writes that and, and declares that, that salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God. So, so look at the solution to our problem. The solution is verse number 15. There it says, But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, Adam, right? So by transgression of Adam, the many died, much more to the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Verse 16. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, The free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Verse 17, For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in this life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. 
For as though uh, the one, I'm sorry, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So here, what do we have here? We have on one hand, we see the devastating news that Adam in his disobedience brings about death, destruction, and condemnation to all of us. And the Scripture tells us that we are all guilty of sin. There's not anyone here physically listening or watching that is not guilty of sin. And because we're all guilty of sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because that is true for every single one of us, that means that we are all 100% deserving of the wrath and condemnation of God. But on the other hand, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we repented and believe in the Son, then God credits us with His Son's perfect righteousness. And He credits us and He blesses us with eternal salvation. Listen, don't get hung up on some of these words in this passage. It can be rather challenging because looking back, sometimes people get get confused and they say, look at verse number 15. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died... They get hung up on the word many, right? They said many died. Uh, and then it says, um, by the gift of the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, abound to the many. Okay, so here it, it gives, if you're stuck on the word many, we fail to see that not in English, but in Greek, sometimes uh, the words many and all are used interchangeably, right? And so, I mean, did many people die? Or does everybody die? Everybody dies. And so then when you look over at verse number uh, 18. Uh, So then as through one transgression there resulted uh, condemnation to all men. Yes. Even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Does that mean that everybody that's ever born has received or will receive the justification that's been offered in and through Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't. Don't get hung up, but don't get confused by that. It means that those that believe in the Son, it's the only way that we can receive the forgiveness that we need in order to avoid the wrath and condemnation of God. So in verse number 18, it says the one transgression... And that one transgression, it's the sin of Adam back in the garden, right? And then it compares it to the, the one act of righteousness, which is referring to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So we have one trans, trespass. It's being con, contrasted with the one act, righteous act. So if you have a trespass in comparison to the righteous act. You have Adam's sin in comparison to the sacrifice of our Savior. And we see the result of Adam's sin is contrasted with the result of uh, what Jesus' work accomplished on the cross. And so what is that? We see condemnation 
being contrasted with justification and redemption. One act brings about death. The other act brings eternal life for those who believe. So so this conclusion is stated in, in different words in verse number 19. In verse number 19, Adam's act is called disobedience. And the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ is called obedience. So we see the problem, the solution. Now let's go to the result. Verse number 20. It says, The law came in so that the transgressions would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so... Grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has deeply ruptured who we are in comparison to to who we were created to be. And so the law points out sin. But the law offers no remedy. That wasn't the purpose of, of the law. Uh, no, the, the law was given to, to point out our sin, uh, to make us more aware of sin. The law was given to, to give us a, a greater knowledge of sin. Hopefully, bringing about a conviction over sin and making us realize our need for a Savior. That's the purpose of of the law. That's why Galatians 3, verse number 24, there it says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so, while the law was given to to point out or to magnify our sin, may you know that the grace of God is far greater Notice the glorious truth about the grace of God. What that's saying is that wherever sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. When you think about that, wherever sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. Which means that God's grace is far more effective and powerful than any sin or sinner. God's grace can forgive anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, anyone. God's grace is greater than any of your sin. No matter how gross, vile, offensive that sin may be, God's grace is greater, which means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven if you will repent and believe. Repentance. Not a word that's 
talked about much. Not a lot of sermons in American churches are focusing on the word repentance. A lot of churches are are avoiding speaking about sin, addressing sin. They're, They're kind of moving away from that because they're wanting to build a greater audience and, and they have a different agenda. But, but the Word of God clearly speaks about what is right and what is wrong, what should be pursued and what should not be pursued. And so God's Word should guide and instruct us in all areas of our lives. And you need to know that no matter what it is that you're struggling with, that bitterness, your anger, your foul words that come out of your mouth, the abusive attitude or the abusive actions or the abusive words that you speak to your spouse or to your children, all of that can be forgiven if you'll repent and believe. Now, what a burden that you could uh, be relieved of today if you would simply just repent. Confess your sin. Repent. Leave it. Pursue a different thing. Pursue what God calls you to pursue. Repent and believe. Believe what? Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that God raised Him from the dead. That's what salvation is. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That means He's your master. He's your ruler. He's your one that you will submit and surrender everything to. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That, that's salvation. So do you confess? That is He a Lord. Not is He just the Lord. No, is He your Lord? Do you submit and surrender all areas and aspects of your life unto Him? That doesn't mean that you're perfectly walking in obedience. But it should mean that you're striving for perfect obedience. And when you're messing up and when you sin or when there's seasons or moments of unrighteousness in your life that you have this conviction from the Holy Spirit and you're confessing that and you're repenting from that and you're trying to walk anew in your relationship with the Father, and forgiveness is available for everyone. Isn't that awesome? Where sin abounds, God's grace abounds, even more. Sin leads to death. But God's grace can lead you to eternal life. If you'll repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and this time. And Father, as we take a few moments to, to reflect upon your word and what that means to us, Father, I pray that your spirit would move among all of us, guiding us and convicting us in the areas of our lives that need conviction, Father. Father, in this moment, there should be sins that are confessed. There should be decisions that are made, commitments that are made, Father, I pray that we'll not rush this moment or this process, but that we would respond to how your Spirit leads us. 
so that you receive all the glory and honor that you're due. Church, this time of reflection, I encourage you to take whatever posture of prayer that you'd like. You can sit, you can stand, you can sing, or you can reflect. But as we go through this, know that we have staff and we have elders here at the front that we would love nothing more than to be able to, to talk with you and to pray with you and to offer any encouragement that we may.